Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, Daddy, with the most limitless podcast in the world of professional wrestling. That's right, we are here just hours after the conclusion of night two of AEW Fighter Fest and NXT Great American Bash to break down everything that happened on these Wednesday night shows. You want to talk about a war? We're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no shit we are after what we just saw the last two weeks on NXT and AEW. Excited to be here once again, breaking it all down for you. Before we get to that, of course, you're going to need to do a couple things. First, head on over to Twitter. If you don't already, follow the show at Getting Overcast. Don't forget also to follow me, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. You can also check out, you know, a little thing called Apple Podcasts, where you can go give us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you enjoy the show. Say some kind words about the Silver King and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Let us know that you like what we're doing here. I also have another quick update uh, when it comes to some of the extra gifts that were promised to those of you who decided to contribute to the show. Seeing as uh, FS1 these days has been doing some pay-per-view rewind type of shows basically every Tuesday night now that WWE backstage has been canceled, my thought is why don't we find a Tuesday night uh, replay on FS1 and do a live pay-per-view rewind chat. I'll find a chat room. I'll figure out exactly technologically how we're going to make it happen. But for those of you who contributed, I will be inviting you to a special live chat. We'll be able to talk about that pay-per-view that we watch. We'll also be able to do a little Q&A. You guys can ask me whatever you want. Certainly, I may ask you guys some questions as well, considering many of you have been longtime listeners to my takes on the world of professional wrestling. But we are here to get into the Wednesday Night Wars and discuss what happened at AEW Fighter Fest and NXT Great American Bash. Now, you guys know how the format of this show normally works. I pick whichever show I think is best in any given week, and I go with that show off the top. This week's show is going to be a little bit different because I think the best moment of the week, obviously, came from the main event of NXT. But the best show from top to bottom, in my opinion, and honestly, it wasn't even close, was AEW Fighter Fest. So we're going to do this edition of Getting Over a little bit different. I think for the first time in an all Wednesday night show, we're going to have a main event and then we're going to talk about each of the shows individually. So it's going to be a little back and forth between NXT and AEW. If you're only a fan of one and you don't watch the other or you don't want to be spoiled, there will be timestamps in the episode description as there are for every single show every single week. So with that, hey, it's Thursday. Let's do it. Let's jump into the main event. And the main event is indeed the winner-take-all match on NXT Great American Bash between North American champion Keith Lee and NXT champion Adam Cole. You knew this was going to be an epic match when it was announced. The fact that they gave it basically 27, 28 minutes of TV, including, by the way, 25 minutes of action, it set the stage for what had the opportunity to be an epic match. And boy, did they deliver. It started really hot with Keith Lee 
using his overwhelming size and power, allowing it to work to his benefit and detriment occasionally, I guess, when he ran through the plexiglass. The size disparity matches thus far in NXT have not worked all that well for Keith Lee, but this was completely different. Adam Cole did such a great job, not just selling, but getting in a significant amount of offense against a much larger man, and all of it was completely believable given the context of what was happening. But Keith Lee in this match was so impressive. From the vertical suplex, from the ring apron, over the top rope, from the turnbuckles, uh, the spirit bomb uh, with the solid near fall, Cole paying some homage to Kevin Owens with the single finger rope break, uh, I guess in midway through the match. You also saw a powerful kick out at two flat by Keith Lee on the last shot, the first one that he took late in the match. That was a clear indicator of the finish. And then we get the 2.5 count out of the Panama Sunrise made it even more obvious the way this match was going to go because while there were a couple kickouts, this was not a kickout fest like Adam Cole's other matches, particularly his last couple of matches with Johnny Gargano where it was basically not really selling the finishers, kicking out, immediately moving on to the next one. Every kickout in this match felt important. It felt like Adam Cole was legitimately frustrated and didn't know how to put away this behemoth of a man in Keith Lee, whereas with Gargano, they very quickly just moved on to the next one. But even with all of that said, I was wondering to myself, are they going to give us the climax to this match, the finish that it deserves? Or or are we just going to see the normal trope that we have seen in Adam Cole matches, which is Undisputed Era running out and interfering and affecting the finish either positively or negatively? No, that didn't happen. They totally delivered with Cole knowing that another last shot was not good enough and he needed another Panama Sunrise in order to take down Keith Lee. But that didn't work. Lee caught him, hit the spirit bomb and immediately transitioned into the big bang catastrophe, which will always pop me the name of that. Just really funny um, for the one, two, three. So, hey, folks, what did I think about that match? That's the most action I've had all year. It was just absolutely fantastic. Fantastic match. And if there is anybody in NXT who deserves to be a double champion and can actually carry both of those straps, the huge, by the way, North American Championship and the NXT Championship with total legitimacy, it is Keith Lee. The first black NXT champion in eight years following Big E in 2012 looked incredible with the confetti and pyro going off as he was getting crowned. Folks, if you didn't know it already, Keith Lee has it. I'm going to say that one more time. Keith Lee has it. And that really comes into focus when you look at what's happened for this guy over the last seven months. He pinned Seth Rollins. He went toe-to-toe and face-to-face with Roman Reigns. He stood off with Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble and got put over by Brock's reaction to his entrance. Whoa, big boy, look at that. Or who's this? MFR, I believe he mouthed. I mean, that's Brock Lesnar's not just going to do that for anybody, right? Keith Lee was incredibly impressive at Survivor Series and at the Royal Rumble. Then he doesn't really come back to NXT, but the focus changes back to NXT. He wins the North American Championship, and now he ends Adam Cole's 403-day NXT title reign to receive all of the accolades that I just discussed. So you see the confetti and you see the pyro 
and you see Keith Lee celebrating the title he so richly deserves. And then what does NXT go ahead and do? They add a master touch to the end of the show by revealing that the entire time Karrion Cross and Scarlett were watching the match from the production area. I was thinking all match. You know, if they do have Keith Lee win, it would be pretty tough for him to immediately go up against the super strong Karrion Cross, and I would not want to see him drop the title quickly, you know, after a month or so. I wonder what they're going to do. And with all of that wonder in my mind, and this is something that NXT does time and time again, they immediately answered it without me having to wait. They told me, no, yeah, Karrion Cross is focused on the NXT championship. He did watch that match, and he does know that he's going to be challenging for that title very soon. Is he going to challenge for it immediately? I don't know, but sooner than later is clearly the point. Um, in terms of this match, you know, you want to give a star rating, it's tough. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, I tweeted this. I don't know if you guys all saw. My cable was in and out all night, uh, and just watching this match and watching basically both of these shows was a chore for me. So my mindset was not there to to plop down and kind of just immerse myself in wrestling. I was taking notes. I was frustrated at cable. My dog was going crazy. It was, it was quite a night. But I did rewatch the final 10 minutes of this match right before bed around 2 a.m. That's by the time I actually got finished with everything. And I just can't help but say it may not be a five-star match, but it was a five-star booking. I think the way the match was laid out, the finish, how it came into play, the booking decision to go with Keith Lee in this spot and not have Undisputed Era interfere and have Karrion Cross at the end, absolute five-star booking for me. In terms of match quality itself, probably around a 4.25, 4.5. You're really picking nits when it comes to going above 4.5 and into that five-star stratosphere. But this was a damn good match, a legitimate main event. It was the best match of the night, NXT or AEW. And that's not to say AEW did not have great matches because holy crap, they did. And we're going to talk about that momentarily. But in terms of who led the night, the biggest storyline coming out of the Wednesday Night Wars and a double segment that should theoretically head-to-head win the ratings war, folks, it's Keith Lee. That's the most action I've had all year. Now, with that said, we are going to transition into AEW Fighter Fest because really, for the rest of the night, the totality of what happened in AEW was better and was more important than what happened over in NXT. So we're going to talk AEW now. We will go back to NXT once we finish with AEW. And again, you can check the episode description for timestamps if you don't want to listen to AEW, or if you only want to listen to it, well, now is your chance. We are here. Uh, we'll start with the main event for AEW Fighter Fest, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. You know, I was a bit disappointed at the very start of the match, just because I thought there'd be a little bit more Orange Cassidy type wrestling, uh, if that makes sense. While I'm not the biggest fan of that per se, I was curious to see how that would work in a kayfabe situation against a true legend like Chris Jericho, who himself has done some funny and corny type of things in and around the ring. So I wanted to see how they might play off each other in that way, and I didn't necessarily get that at the intro. Instead, Chris Jericho largely dominated the match offensively, uh, but he did look strong doing so, which is certainly a positive. He came across as a veteran, a legend, 
someone who would be a difficult mountain for Orange Cassidy to climb. I did honestly laugh my ass off at Orange Cassidy's no effort splash. I know he does that all the time, but I just love that move. Just kind of seeing someone jump and just not care about their body and and land on someone pretty funny. Uh, And the corkscrew that he did over the top rope was fantastic. I love that he got a few near falls on Jericho also, including that 2.9 near the end of the match after the stun dog millionaire and the DDT. However, I did think it was ridiculous that Orange Cassidy kicked out of a bat to the face and a code breaker. I know that Judas Effect is his AEW finisher, but generally when you take a weapon to the face, a bat, a sledgehammer in particular, and then still get hit with a finisher level maneuver, that's the end of the match. And considering Chris Jericho ended up winning anyway, it almost was unnecessary for them to continue it from there. But small demerit. In the end, Jericho winning was clearly the right booking, right decision, and the match did deliver in a big way. So for that, Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy, you get it. However, Tony Khan on Twitter before the match, trying to promote AEW Fighter Fest, trying to get viewers from NXT. And folks, we have talked about Tony Khan and his hyperbole extensively on this podcast. And I do hope to have Tony on one day. I do really want to interview him. I think he's a really interesting guy and certainly being the leader of AEW, the creator, the owner, um, I think he has a lot of interesting things to say. Um, But something I will ask him is about these hyperbolic statements and are they completely purposeful or does he really believe these things? Because Tony Khan, ahead of this match, said it was one of the best events you'll see ever on free TV. First of all, it wasn't the best main event on this particular Wednesday night. It's not the best match I've seen on free TV in the last month, and it's certainly not one of the best that I ever saw. So Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy. It's Tony Khan. All right, moving on to the opener, the tag team title match between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defending against private parties, successfully defending, I should say. Unlike NXT, which I will get to in a little bit, AEW nailed the opener. They got the right segment. They got the right match. Very hot tag team title match that you knew would deliver because of the talent of all four guys in the ring. Hell, even the fact that you got double pyro on the entrances made it feel like a big opening to the show. Very smart decision by AEW in that regard. I have never seen a springboard like the one Isaiah Cassidy did in this match. Split leg over the top rope, then landing on the middle rope and catapulting himself outside. Holy crap. Uh, Seriously, totally insane. Just fantastic on that. Uh, Cassidy intercepting the buckshot lariat was also incredibly creative as was Mark Quinn's shooting star press. Just impressive the way he does that move. I don't, I'm not going to go ahead and say it's the best shooting star press, but it is up there. He gets height on the shooting star press the same way that Montez Ford gets height on the frog splash. Both of them very impressive with those high-risk maneuvers. Despite absolutely loving this match, it's impossible for me to overlook the lack of rules in AEW tag team wrestling. And this is a trope that we're going to discuss later in the show also. This match went about three minutes in the middle with basically all four men wrestling with no tags. And then the finish was exactly the same with everybody suddenly legal, able to hit moves, the referee not counting anything. It just said, okay, you know what? Go to the finish and win the match. 
tag team wrestling in AEW, they have so many great tag teams. Not just great in terms of in within the scope of AEW. I'm talking about worldwide. They have the greatest tag team division in the world. If they can actually follow the rules, which you think they probably would do, considering Chris Jericho has previously mentioned that they know that it's been an issue, that FTR is now there, you know, both in kayfabe and in real life, maybe to actually enforce the rules and, and make sure tag team wrestling is tag team wrestling. I mean, again, I've said it, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. If you want to do tornado tag team wrestling rules, or you want to have it kind of like Lucha Libre, or sometimes just leaving the ring make means a tag, then that's fine. Make those your rules. But they operate currently by real tag team rules everywhere except in the matches themselves where they're not followed. So I have to give a demerit for that, despite me loving the action and really thinking that it was a smart move by Tony Khan and a smart move by AEW to open with this match, something again that NXT failed to do this week. Now, moving on to Lance Archer defeating Joey Janela. You know, for a while, this kind of felt like the longest squash match that I've ever seen. I did like the opening with Archer walking down with a knocked out sunny kiss, but then he was suddenly 100% and able to hit a pretty awesome 450 splash. So if you're going to bring someone down to the ring that's been completely concussed and knocked out, for them to be up cheering and then doing a major move later in the match all seems to be a little crazy or a little stupid, I guess, from a booking standpoint. AEW does allow referee discretion and does not overuse it. So I was totally okay with the blackout into the table and then rolling uh, Janela back into the ring, finishing the match. But it feels like Archer shouldn't have needed it against a guy like Janela, who in AEW is sub 500 as a record, kind of operating as a tag team because he doesn't have anything else to do. I don't know. That match didn't really work for me, and it certainly didn't work following up the really hot main event. Uh, We also had a quick segment with Darby Allen doing a coffin drop into a foam pit. Zero point zero. You know, we don't really talk much about AEW not using someone properly. There's arguments to be made about the quality of certain storylines and matches, and but generally AEW gets things right. This stuff with Darby Allen, these quick vignettes, these quick little videos, they're terrible. Uh, I care less about him than I ever have. Do you want to talk about cooling someone off? Darby Allen has been completely cooled off for me. Next, we have Taz, who came out and made a major announcement, or at least what was advertised as a major announcement. And that announcement was the FTW Championship being brought back and awarded to Brian Cage. You know, I did give Taz a lot of credit recently for finding his promo stride over the prior few weeks. But in this particular segment, and this is going to be divisive because I know a lot of you, I got a couple DMs that loved it, a couple that hated it. But in this segment, he basically cursed three or four times and didn't say much of anything. This reminded me very much of the way he used to cut promos back in ECW. And I know not all of you watched ECW, but he he would curse a bunch and you would just kind of roll your eyes, but then he would get on a tangent and you'd go, oh my God, this guy is a promo machine. So sometimes he uses it as a crutch. Sometimes he doesn't. Last week's promo I thought was really strong, even though I disagreed with the way he ended it about calling WWE a sloppy shop. But I did think it was strong and he was finding his stride. This week, I just thought he talked a lot and didn't say much of anything. Look, the FTW Championship, we'll talk about it momentarily, but this was a huge 
huge letdown as an announcement for what Tony Khan, again, we're talking about over-promising and under-delivering. What Tony Khan promised would be, quote, an announcement that I guarantee will send shockwaves through the world of professional wrestling. Uh, was it? Zero point zero. No, it wasn't. That said, I do like the continuity of the FTW title when it was originally introduced. It, it Taz brought it in because Shane Douglas was unable to wrestle supposedly due to injury. In this case, John Moxley is unable to compete. They had to delay that title match. So now they brought in the FTW championship and, you know, Brian Cage has been crowned that. So that's a pretty cool wrestling Easter egg, even if it's not on purpose, which I kind of don't think it is. But at least to me, someone who is a big ECW fan, again, I have the ECW World Heavyweight Championship in my office. Um, That was pretty cool, at least to me. I do like the FTW title being on TV and coming from ECW for, for nostalgia purposes. But I have to hope that this is temporary. They don't need a third male singles title and they don't really need a quote unquote badass title. And the TNT title as it is, is not really established. Cody's done an okay job. The title looks like crap. The the TNT I'm talking about. The other thing is, what is Brian Cage at this point? Because all he is, is an amalgamation of Taz's old gimmicks and catchphrases built into a very powerful person. At some point, it has to be enough. I'm wondering when he's going to start wearing an orange towel and over his head, walking to the ring at this point. He already has the catchphrases. He already has the moniker. Now he has the FTW championship. It's like, can you not find a way to get an absolute beast in Brian Cage over without just making him into a 2020 version of Taz with Taz as his manager? So that to me in totality is a bit disappointing what they're doing with Brian Cage. Now, a true surprise for me on Dynamite was this eight-man tag match, the Lucha Bros, Butcher and Blade defeating Young Bucks and FTR. You know, it's almost impossible to evaluate an eight-man tag match like this, but it was plenty exciting and it concluded a far better first hour for AEW Fighter Fest than NXT offered with Great American Bash. FTR and the Bucks combining for the double dropkick Goodnight Express and the Meltzer Driver. It was a great spot, or multiple great spots, I should say. But there was no legality to anything that went on in the middle of that match. Again, just not caring about tag team rules in AEW until they obviously made that concerted effort to do that triple tag, multi-tag spot in the latter stages of the match to hit like that avalanche superplex and whatever else they did coming out of that. So... You know, the match was just pure entertainment from a wrestling standpoint. And, you know, I know people loved that Young Bucks Lucha Bros ladder match that I thought was way over the top and just completely ridiculous. But this match, I liked way more than that, even head to head. I think that actually got five stars maybe from Dave Meltzer, but I didn't think it was that great. This match in particular, for some reason, spoke to me. Maybe it was just simply because I didn't expect to see something as good as this was out of an eight-man tag team match. Now, I have said it before, and certainly this is nothing new, nor is it a unique opinion, but Ray Phoenix is absolutely incredible and once again proved that he is one of the best in the world. That catapult Canadian destroyer off Pentagon's back over the top rope into a pile of wrestlers 
legitimately left me speechless. Oh, what a little freak. What a weirdo. When I say freak in this case, or I should say when they say freak, it is in the absolute best sense of the term. This guy is a total and absolute freak. He should be putting on barn burner singles and tag team matches in AEW. I know he's had certain opportunities here and there, but man, I would much rather see Phoenix as TNT champion wrestling every week than Cody, just if we're talking apples to apples. Now, I initially thought that the Bucks and FTR should have won this match, but given the finish, they booked it far better than maybe I would have. And that's not often that I say that. So kudos to Tony Khan and AEW there. Uh, But it was smart to take immediate advantage of the mistaken super kick with the newly returning Lucha Bros getting a much needed victory. And I'm glad that they just didn't have that super kick immediately lead to animosity between FTR and the Young Bucks. They shook hands afterward. This was more just a seed in what will grow to be obviously a big time rivalry. I don't even know if they're going to end up having a head-to-head match at the next, you know, AEW pay-per-view. They may even hold it off for a year until double or nothing next year. Uh, but I am really curious to see what extent they go with this rivalry, how far they build it, and where it ultimately ends when we eventually do see the FTR Young Bucks match that we're all expecting. Nyla Rose beat a couple of handicapped jobbers, and this was not much of anything, but again, AEW doing something right, NXT not. This was way more exciting than the equivalent NXT match, which was the return slash debut of the newly signed Mercedes Martinez. I am on one hand interested to see who's going to manage Nyla Rose, but it really just seems completely unnecessary for her to have a manager. It's almost like her promo was, hey, there's a ton of managers here. Well, I should have one too. It's like, well, no, there's so many managers We probably don't need another person with a manager. I felt the promo meandered and was pretty awful, all things considered. So the match was good. Everything else, not great. But when you're talking about a manager for Nyla Rose, I mean, it has to be Vicky Guerrero, right? Anyone else will legitimately surprise me. My expectation is Vicky Guerrero. Uh, And we'll also kind of finish up here with Dark Order and Cole Cabana defeating SCU. This match did really nothing for me. Again, the tag team rules were non-existent for a large portion of time, but at least they're telling me some kind of story with Colt Cabana, whether I care about it or not. And the answer is, I don't. And last but not least for AEW, I'm still popping for the Britt Baker and Big Swole stuff. There is, again, an equivalent storyline right now in NXT that is also getting me going. But Britt Baker as this heel, this whiner, this complainer, while injured, unable to do anything is pretty great. Big Swole finding different ways to come in and antagonize her and disrupt the show. Also pretty funny. You know, definitely curious to see where they go with this. Now, as I said, the best moment on Wednesday night was indeed Adam Cole and Keith Lee in the main event of Great American Bash, the winner-take-all match. But AEW Fighter Fest, top to bottom, straight up, was a better show head-to-head with NXT. If you look at the four nights that we've gotten, or the four shows over two nights, I should say, that we've gotten from NXT and AEW, I would probably say that night one of Great American Bash was the best, night two of AEW Fighter Fest next, then night two of Great American Bash, and then night one of AEW Fighter Fest, if I was going to rank them. But look, 
Let's talk NXT. Let's talk Great American Bash, where WWE did fall a bit short here, despite there still being a lot of really good stuff on this show. Unlike last week, NXT failed to start the show the right way, beginning with the wrong kickoff match and doubling down without a single major star on TV at all for the first 40 minutes of programming. Everyone was a mid-carder or low-carder. Johnny Gargano and Swerve were clearly the right decision to open the show, and the fact that they saved it for late in the show was just an absolutely huge mistake. Uh, It was a good idea also by NXT to announce that they'd be previewing the massive main event with predictions from legends throughout the show, but they made it look like there'd be a handful and, and that you'd see it throughout the show. Instead, they literally only had Mark Henry on for the first hour and 20 minutes of a two-hour show. And then they had Drew McIntyre, eventually Mick Foley, and Shawn Michaels. They hardly mentioned that they had this huge, massive promoted main event with a title versus title, winner-take-all match. It should have been a preview package. They should have done five or six predictions, and they should have been sprinkled between segments, continuously telling people to watch the main event. So with all of that said, they just did not start off the show right. They didn't build it or schedule it right. And for NXT to make that big of a mistake, consider or multiple mistakes, considering how well they have booked historically and certainly in night one, as a viewer, I was definitely disappointed. The show did open with Candice LeRae defeating Mia Yim in a street fight, and I did not have high hopes for this match. And that's probably a good thing because I was bored senseless for the first two thirds of it. That said, once Mia Yim brought the garbage can into the situation, things turned around in a major way. The finish to the match was hot. She used the trash can well, brought out the brass knuckles, which is always kind of cool to see in a street fight. Both of them, Larray and Yim, teetering on the table, stacked atop the top rope, and the top turnbuckle was really cool. And the diving, swinging neckbreaker onto a pile of chairs off of a table, like suspended on top of the ropes, was awesome. The effortless cover from uh, Candice LeRae kind of harkened back to Adam Cole effortlessly covering Johnny Gargano in their their third match, whatever that was. I'm forgetting all the stipulations. Um, but it was a very similar finish, except this time the LeRae Gargano family won. And ultimately, we saw Candice LeRae finally win a big match in NXT. And also, it's not really like Mae was hurt by losing in that manner. It's not like she's some top star who would get diminished by losing a match like that. I also love that Mia Yim and Candice LeRae sold the shit out of that finish well after the match was over, not only while they were on TV, but NXT went to commercial break and you saw that Mia Yim and Candice LeRae were still down for a period of time. Very cool. I like when they do little stuff like that. An extra credit to Mia Yim in this match for not only somehow managing to wrestle in Tim's, but continuing to take brutal, brutal bumps in losses. She is a total trooper. Next, we had Bronson Reed defeat Tony Nese. And again, you're starting the show, unadvertised match with a couple of low carters. Yeah, they're trying to make Bronson Reed into a mid carter, but he's not there yet. If you're tuning in and you're you're looking at Kenny Omega and Hangman Page over in AEW, I'm forgetting, what was that second match again? Lance Archer and Joey Janela. Then you have Taz. AEW hit, hit you right off the bat with a one, two, three combination of big segments. What's NXT giving you? Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, 
Mark Henry talking about the main event, and then Bronson Reed and Tony Nese. It just doesn't equate. And I would not be surprised if NXT got crushed in hour one of the ratings this week. So Bronson Reed defeats Tony Nese on one hand. I'm glad that they're finally giving the former Jonah Rock some wins, but this guy is six foot 300 and he's basically only beating cruiserweights. It was a decent match with the right booking. There was a nice homage to Dusty Rhodes with Reed using the bionic elbow at the Great American Bash. That popped me. I like that they gave us a storyline for the match when they didn't really need to do so. I'm not aware whether part of this aired on 205 Live or not. I haven't been watching that show recently, even though apparently I need to. There have been some good matches. Still, this probably should have been a four-match show with more focus on the main event, and this match occurring was completely unnecessary. Uh, Robert Stone definitely got me to laugh out loud again. This is kind of the equivalent to the Britt Baker on AEW week to week in terms of a funny segment that doesn't really take place inside the ring. Uh, but he got me to laugh out loud screaming that Shotzi Blackheart had was killing him by running over his leg with her mini tank. But this whole Robert Stone brand recruitment, it needs to go somewhere and it needs to go somewhere fast. Chelsea Green was a great counterpart for Robert Stone. It made total sense, that pairing. But she won that tag team match with Charlotte and then announced that she was leaving him. Supposedly, we, we at least assumed she was going to show up on Raw. Maybe they had plans for her to team with Charlotte after Charlotte lost the NXT title before Charlotte decided to have surgery. I don't know. Um, but she left and now has not shown up and is not being used. This is someone who is starting to get rub. So Chelsea Green has now disappeared. She's worse off for it, at least as of right now. Robert Stone is way worse off not having Chelsea Green. And we're just kind of sitting here, kind of thumbs up our asses, wondering what's going to happen. Next up was Johnny Gargano defeating Swerve. This was a great match, no question. And like I said, this should have opened the show. I would have told you that this should have opened the show before even seeing the match. They also made a big mistake by not even advertising this until like 48 hours out from NXT. They should have been advertised last week for an entire week. That's how great this match was. Big fan of the trickeration, misdirection, and athleticism that were used to open the match. Uh, made Swerve extra interesting, especially to unfamiliar viewers, people who have not seen him a lot. Gargano going for the one final beat after the stare down outside the ring and uh, hitting that slingshot spear later showcased him as a veteran outsmarting the upstart. I always liked that. You guys know I love Mauro Ranallo. He was really rough in this match. He called Swerve's finisher, but made it seem as if it was a setup move with a total lack of excitement. Then Swerve hit the awesome JML driver for like a 2.9 count that Gargano sold very well. And there was no passion for the near fall from Morrow. So I don't know if he was saving up his energy bar for the main event, but it just didn't really hit home his call of this match for me. I don't think he did it justice. And again, that's a very rare criticism for a color commentator, not a color commentator, a play-by-play man who I think is maybe the best in the business and one of the best of all time. Gargano did a great job putting Swerve over ultimately by giving him the vast majority of offense in the match and the finish protected Swerve Uh, missing a high-risk stomp outside the ring, getting run into the post, nailed with the Poison Rana, and then eating the one final beat DDT. Obviously, it would have been cool to have Swerve win the match, but the fact that it took so much in succession for Gargano to win. Protected Swerve made Gargano look strong. He also won clean, didn't really have to cheat. That was positive. Overall, a great match and a fantastic showcase for Swerve. Absolutely zero question, like I said, should have opened the show. Also loved the post-match shot of Gargano standing tall on the ramp. That was very cool. 
and the dual promo later in the evening with Gargano and Candice LeRae both celebrating their victories, and but still nevertheless having their eyes set on revenge. Let me know that there's more to come from both of them in the near future. Keeps me interested. Thought there was a solid promo a little bit later in the Io Shirai and Tegan Knox NXT Women's Championship vignette promo, uh, basically announcing that's going to probably be the main event next week. I wouldn't call it spectacular by any means, but it did get me really interested. Next week's show, trying to compete with Fight for the Fallen, and we will do a little preview, a short preview of those two on Tuesday's show, our WWE edition, before we wrap that up. Man, Fight for the Fallen is a beastly card, and right now, NXT just with two matches announced, won the women's title match, pretty good. And then you have, I think, what is it? Cameron Grimes and Damian Priest. I mean, it's a mini rivalry. I don't really care much about either of them. They really need to announce some segments to keep me interested in next week's show. I don't know what the ratings ultimately are going to be for this week's Great American Bash versus Fighter Fest. It may be close. NXT could potentially win again, but AEW is going to win Fight for the Fallen, in my opinion, in a major way over NXT next week. Uh, wrapping up here, Legado Del Fantasma defeating Drake Maverick and Brizongo. Unlike the opener, this vastly exceeded my expectations. I really like Legado Del Fantasma even more than I did before coming out of this match. They worked extremely well together, looked like a legitimate group that had preparation and planning with each other. Obviously, the booking was correct for them to go over strong and have Escobar hit the Phantom Driver on Maverick to win the match. It was also a really nice aesthetic touch having Escobar wear that white armband as the leader of Legado del Fantasma, whereas you have Joe Wild and Raul Mendoza both wear the black armbands as the followers. I just thought that was really cool. You usually see factions all wear the same t-shirt in the Undisputed Era's case, all wear the same armband, but this was in particular very cool. And we can wrap it up, of course, with Mercedes Martinez defeating Santana Garrett, uh, in Martinez debut return match, whatever you want to call it. Look, I knew from the second that they announced Mercedes Martinez was having a match that it was going to be against Santana Garrett. You did too. Don't lie to me. I like Martinez and I thought her entrance was sick, but this was not at all a good debut. It should have been way earlier in the show. They should have had something else, you know, before the main event. This was basically a cooler. It cooled down the momentum that that six-man tag match gave us that we should have gone... Six-man tag, a couple of legends talking about the main event, and then the main event. Um, but she was a slow-moving, dominant heel. And in, in a debut, in a situation like that, it wasn't a big enough of, of a debut to be that late in the show. And like I said, it just cooled things down coming out of that tag match before the main event that we knew was going to deliver in a major way. You know, I did talk already about winner-take-all Cole and Keith Lee. The one thing I did forget to mention, though, about that match, I loved the the entrances. Having both of them backstage, showing them kind of in their heads, preparing for the match, waiting for their music to be played, and then seeing each of them walk out individually. I felt that was very cool. And just a, if it added more gravitas that the match, it didn't so much need it, but it deserved it. And I loved the way that NXT produced that. So once again, really happy for Keith Lee uh, winning the NXT championship along with the North American championship. And now we sit here, we certainly wonder about Karrion Cross and the NXT title, but we also wonder what's going to happen with the North American championship. Because what NXT really cannot afford to do right now 
is not have a mid-card title defended when it is in this ratings war. Hey, don't ask me. MJF knows. We're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. They're in the ratings war. The North American title is something that can be defended frequently. I do like the idea of Keith Lee potentially vacating it. William Regal kind of coming down and say, look, Keith, we respect you being a double champion, but that title needs to be defended and you have bigger fish to fry right now. What would be awesome? Vacating the North American championship and having a television tournament over a couple of weeks to crown a new North American champion. There is a ton of people who could be in that tournament. Obviously a Gargano, potentially a Champa, Finn Ballard, Jonah Rock, I keep saying Jonah Rock, uh, Bronson Reed, Damian Priest. There are a ton of people. Swerve, there's a ton of people in NXT right now that need to be involved in the mid-card picture. Cameron Grimes being another. They could put on an awesome 16-man tournament to crown a new North American champion. Or we could get a main event for an upcoming episode of NXT. Maybe they just revisit what they did when they initially had to crown the North American champion. And you do like a six-man ladder match for the vacant title. So I do think there are some interesting things to come from NXT in regards to that championship. But when it comes to the head-to-head, look, folks, uh, last week I wasn't necessarily surprised to see NXT win the ratings war again. I did expect it to be close, and ultimately it was. AEW won the demo. You know, people talk about the demo. Advertisers care about the demo. The Silver King doesn't care about the demo. I give AEW a lot of credit for winning a ton of weeks in a row head-to-head, but you do have to legitimately give NXT credit for putting on a couple great episodes over the last few weeks and winning the head-to-head over AEW two weeks ago in shockingly dominant fashion. But if you are listening to this before the Thursday ratings come out, I do predict, if you want me to predict, AEW winning the ratings war again, both total and demo viewers. That said, I do believe that the main event, the final two quarter hours, NXT will beat AEW head to head because that match simply was better. It was more important. And I know that the finish leaked. I somehow managed to avoid it. But considering that finish leaked, wouldn't you want to see a title change? So I do think a lot of people would tune in to see that. I do think though, the NXT is going to get hit really hard in the first hour, which was a huge disappointment, especially at the open of the show. I would not be surprised if the Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, private party tag team match does way bigger numbers than the Mia Yim and Candice LeRae street fight. So that is the full breakdown of NXT Great American Bash and AEW Fighter Fest Night 2. We do have a couple DM slides, though, to address before we get out of here. So let's get those right now. All right, did not mean to play the entire sound, but sometimes that happens. Uh, First up, Mason Grenauer, at Mason Grenauer. He says, with Adam Cole losing to Keith Lee, and in my opinion, having done everything he can accomplish in NXT, I want to see him finally be called up. What do you think about a SummerSlam run-in after Drew's match, just like Cole debuted in NXT? I do think that's really solid and strong booking, but more importantly than how they debut Adam Cole is that they debut Adam Cole and Undisputed Era. Look, I know that there have been a couple call-ups recently to the main roster. There are still people out. I get the rosters are, I wouldn't call them bloated, but they do have a lot of people in them despite making some of those cuts. But Undisputed Era, its time in NXT has come to an end. 
the tag team of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly are no longer involved in the title picture. You don't have Roderick Strong involved in the North American Championship picture. And Adam Cole just had a 403-day reign as NXT champion. They, just like Gargano, just like Ciampa, have absolutely dominated NXT main event picture over the last two years. And at some point, you do need to kind of graduate from high school, as as Brian Campbell would say, and move over to college or or to real world. And the main event, or the main roster, I should say, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place right now. The main roster in WWE is the real world. It is college. And I do believe it is time for Undisputed Era to get called up. I don't think you need to do it immediately. I'm okay with giving them a little bit of breathing room. Definitely wait until SummerSlam or the Raw or SmackDown after SummerSlam, but it is time to see Undisputed Era on the main roster. Also chiming in Chad Plasinka at I Don't Exaggerate. He said, you and Chris sometimes talk about annoying tropes and the quote, oblivious and clueless ref needs to be added to that list. Kayfabe speaking, Aubrey Edwards was staring directly at Orange Cassidy when he got hit with the orange juice and did absolutely nothing. Matt should have been a DQ right there. Isn't it time for a highly competent ref angle? A ref so professional that he'll actively avoid him or her because they know that they can't get away with anything. P.S. Christopher Daniels goggles and microphone is the worst gimmick in wrestling. There's a lot there. First of all, with CD, I will say, look, it's an homage to Freddie Mercury, at least the microphone part is. I kind of respect and like that. But yeah, kind of getting a little bit tired of him altogether. Um... You know, look, SCU, they were exciting when they were a large part of being the elite. But now that they are in AEW and just another tag team among the strongest division, like I said, the strongest tag team division in the world right now in professional wrestling, SCU is kind of worn on me. They're not doing promos anymore. They're not doing cool skits on TV. They're not really doing much of anything. It looks like Scorpio Sky is kind of going off and going to be a singles performer. That's great because he deserves to be and he should be. And I would love to see him in the TNT title picture. But yeah, Kazarian, Daniels, kind of wearing on me, kind of tired of them. To get to the, the rest of your point, AEW referees do have some ability to kind of discern what they want to be disqualifications and what they don't. Like I said, Archer put Joey Janela through a table earlier in the match and that referee allowed that match not only to continue, but for that to be the finishing sequence. So I'm not really going to complain about Aubrey Edwards not calling a DQ in that scenario. That said, I do like your idea of there being a highly competent professional ref. Maybe someone even like, let's say AEW signed Mike Chioda, right? From WWE. And this guy is completely by the book. He's been doing it by, you know, for 30 years. And he comes in and does not allow any shit, does countouts, you know, does everything completely by the book. I like that idea. And I think that would be something pretty cool and unique to do. At the same time, how much am I really going to pop for a referee angle? Probably not that much. Nevertheless, appreciate you guys writing in and appreciate everyone listening to the show. Before we get out of here, we are going to talk about what's coming up next in the world of pro wrestling. And that primarily surrounds WWE on SmackDown. Likely, we're going to have another Matt Riddle match, probably against another opponent of Baron Corbin's choosing, King Corbin's choosing. I kind of like that idea. It is interesting. Something leaked out, and it really made me laugh that Baron Corbin did not want to work with Matt Riddle until he beat like two to five low carters to deserve the opportunity to fight him. 
And people took that and ran with it as if it was real life. Like he actually told Vince McMahon that. I think it's pretty obvious, at least right now, that that's the storyline that they're playing out on TV where Corbin's saying, look, Riddle, you want to fight me? Fine. You're going to have to go through some other people and prove that you're worthy of me. Uh, So I just think it's funny that someone, I don't even know who it was, got tricked by something in kayfabe and actually reported it as real news. By the way, Corbin in real life seems to be a pretty awesome, like down-to-earth dude. And he does absolutely love working people on Twitter and in interviews. So Corbin, you may not like him in certain ways on TV, but I think he's underrated as a worker, underrated as a heel. And I like that he keeps kayfabe. So good for him. Uh, Jeff Hardy is going to appear on Ms. TV. You guys know what I think about Ms. TV and these talking segments in the empty arena era. Not a huge fan, but Hardy working with a couple guys in Morrison and Miz, who he's comfortable with, knows them long-term. Maybe it will be an entertaining segment. You do have a non-title match, Bailey and Sasha Banks against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Not a fan of this. We've seen this far too many times. I know it's a non-title match. My guess is Bliss and Cross are going to win with Cross getting over on Bailey before their actual SmackDown title match uh, at Extreme Rules, or I should say, I'm sorry, the horror show at Extreme Rules. And that is gonna be a horror show. <laughs> How do you like that, huh? I still don't like it, Bailey. I still don't. Uh, but this match just to me is unnecessary. I like Bailey and Sasha Banks being on both Raw and SmackDown as the women's tag team champions, but they are starting to encroach on overexposure. It's just starting to happen. Get them on both shows. They do not need to wrestle on every show. And the tag team titles or them as a tag team, they do not need to be wrestling on every show together. And then what I'm expecting to be the main event of the show, at least I hope it is, New Day defending the tag team championships against Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. This is interesting because is it going to be a great match? Yes. But I see absolutely zero way that we get a clean finish here, unless it's a roll-up or something surprising, because they have already clearly identified that they're going to be having a tables match at Extreme Rules. So the fact that they're having this match basically two Fridays out from the show, it's already telling me, hey, it's going to be a schmoz. It's not going to matter. They're going to have to just replay this match again in two weeks. So you don't need to care about it. You, as a viewer, don't need to watch SmackDown. That, to me, is a bit disappointing. But SmackDown as a whole, don't love the build. I don't think there's really much to look forward to, although the show has been decent as of late. In terms of Raw, you know, look, WWE used to build Raw. They would tell us things to look forward to. Now that Bruce Pritchard's in charge, we're back to basically promoting nothing a week out. The only thing right now, women's tag team title match, Bayley and Sasha Banks defending against the Kabuki Warriors. So again, whereas I don't love that they're having the non-title match on SmackDown, at least in kayfabe, it makes sense to have this title match. There was a challenge. It was accepted. Asuka got over on Bailey. Kyrie Sane's back. She wants an opportunity. Interesting to see what they do there. I am also interested to see long-term what happens with Kyrie Sane. There is a story out there that her contract's about to be up. She wants to return to Japan. She's married. She wants to spend time there with her husband and wrestle one more year for stardom before retiring. There's another report out there that says WWE's gone back to her with another contract. I don't know exactly what that offer might be. Perhaps it's an opportunity to no longer compete for WWE, maybe go to NXT UK where travel might be a little bit easier. They tape a lot of shows at once. Maybe she would only need to be away from her husband for a weekend or a week, a month or something like that, and still be able to spend a lot of her time in Japan. But it has been a long rumor that 
She does want to wrestle for stardom before her career is up, and she does not want to wrestle for much longer. You know, people will look at Kyrie Sane's career in WWE and maybe be disappointed, but she's been a tag team champion. She has had a number of good matches on the main roster, and she had a very good NXT run. Not every single person is going to have an Asuka, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Charlotte, you know, Becky Lynch type of run. And I think Kyrie Sane, despite being one of the best in the world, maybe she wasn't always treated like it in WWE, um, but she was able to showcase her talent. And I do appreciate that. I think a lot of people had the same worry about Io Shirai, but you're just now seeing an NXT her live up to all of that billing. So that is this week's show, breaking down everything from AEW, NXT, and previewing what's ahead to WWE. I appreciate all of you listening to me drone on about the world of professional wrestling. We will be back Tuesday with our ultimate preview for the horror show at Extreme Rules. Well, the horror show may be a horror show, but our ultimate preview will be great. I'm also working on a VIP guest, a VIP interview, let's say, for next week's show. I do hope that comes to fruition. By the way, next Thursday's show will be a birthday episode of Getting Over for the Silver King and the following episode, our instant analysis of the horror show at Extreme Rules uh, a little over a week from now will be the 50th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, which debuted in March, folks. Time flies when you're having fun. So once again, thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Follow me at Silverstein Adam. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star rating and review. Tell everyone how much you love the show. I got a couple words to say to you, but before I do, there's someone else who wants to say goodbye. Something going that's oh, really big. Going. Yeah. Look in the video school right now and tell them about my show madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. We the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And how cool you got no chance to Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Radio Center? And you're the greatest wrestler, past, perfect, and future that ever lived. Okay, let's say goodbye. Say goodbye. Thank you all for listening. Bye for now.